Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Oh yeah, the buzz is in the air. Week one is almost here. Welcome in everybody to the Utopia Football Podcast. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast on Sports Radio 610, 6 to 10 a.m. mornings. And I'm joined as always by the Hall of Famer, the senior Texans columnist for SportsRadio610.com and also GalleriesSports.com, John McClain, the Hall of Famer, joining me as always. John, how are we doing? Sean's great weekend of college football, man. Oh man, we got it. Uh, we got so many games that went down to the end, including that Keystone Cops routine with LSU. And man, oh man, in Florida State, I was happy for Florida State. I'd see kids get kicked, blocked like that, but man, it was so exciting. We saw some players emerge as looked like Heisman. Candidates. We saw other Heisman candidates start slow. It was just a great weekend. My Baylor Bears won 69 to 10 against the University of Air. Now they go to Brigham Young. And if they beat BYU, who just stomped South Florida, I'm going to be really fired up. And uh, I'll tell you, you're fighting Irish. I thought for a while they might pull the upset in Columbus. Yeah, they were hanging in. You know what, John? That's a good place to start. This will probably be the only week in a while for for a long time that you and I get to start off with college football on the podcast. And just for those downloading and tuning in, we're going to get to our predictions for the upcoming season. Um, We're going to get to a little for real or fugazi a little bit later, which is the segment that's sweeping the nation right now. People love that. Um, But let's start with the college football, because I do think there's some Texans angles that we can look at this stuff through. You mentioned the Notre Dame-Ohio State game. Um, C.J. Stroud, obviously a focal point of that game. I think for any NFL fan whose team is going to be looking for a quarterback, he's probably the guy, John, that I've seen the most mock draft to the Texans early on in this process here, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. But Bryce Young from Alabama, albeit against inferior competition, looked really good this weekend. And Anthony Richardson from Florida kind of threw his name into the hat as well. He's a guy who's been talked about as a first round talent, but we don't know a lot about him because he hasn't played very much in Florida. I'll start with Stroud because it sounds like you had a chance to watch that Notre Dame Ohio state game. What did you think of Stroud? I thought he was not the quarterback I saw in the last game he played last season when he was fantastic, but he may win a national championship and look great the rest of the season, but right now, if it's based on that performance, you would not uh, pencil him in for the first pick. And I thought Notre Dame's defense did a great job. Yeah, It was very, very impressive. And Ohio State is loaded. And uh, you mentioned Anthony Richardson. How stupid 
does Dan Mullen look? Oh my God. And it's the reason he's now an analyst. He didn't play Richardson full time. He started Damian Pierce one game last season. Maybe that's why he's in TV now because Florida uh, started off with a victory, was a big, big victory over Utah, ranked in the top seven or eight. And uh, it was one great game after another. I can't wait till the next one. And, Sean, if the NFL is anything like college football, and it usually is, it's going to be incredibly exciting too. Yeah, it was It was a, a big weekend. I thought the same thing, John. Like literally on uh, – you, you know, as you know, John, I have a multi – I'm not sure if you're aware. I have a multi-TV setup on my wall. I don't know if you knew that, John. Really? No, yeah. I didn't know. You I don't know if you've seen my hundreds of tweets. Have you ever showed that uh, no. or – I've talked about it before. I'd have to go back and look at Twitter. I think I may have tweeted a picture of it once or twice. And I had some nasty comments last two days. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, you have the last two days. No, I haven't actually. I've refrained the last couple of days. I've been laying low, but here's my point is on one screen. I'm watching Anthony Richardson just completely tear the insides out of Utah. And on the screen next to it, I have Dan Mullen saying something. I wasn't listening because I'm looking, I'm going, okay, I'm watching this quarterback on this one screen here who Dan Mullen thought was a lesser player than Emory Jones. And on the other screen, Dan Mullen is supposedly saying something that I need to listen to because I'm going to learn something from this guy. And that doesn't even factor in Damian Pierce. I should have had Damian Pierce on the big screen right below it just with a highlight reel playing of, of all of his preseason runs because it would have been the perfect encapsulation of Dan Mullen. Why do I need to listen to this guy? who gave Damian Pierce a total, John, a total of 329 carries at Florida over four years. I mean, that's, it, that's one of the craziest things that I think I've seen throughout this whole preseason is going back and looking at Damian Pierce's collegiate career and just how little he was used. It's amazing. And that's good for the Texans. By yes. the way, I can one-up you on your, on your video um, wall. Okay. And I didn't go to a sports bar to do it. I certainly can't do it at my house. But Carol and I went over to Gary Horns, my buddy from elementary school who sponsors uh, my show shows on Sports Radio 610 Horn Solutions. And Gary has, let's see, 85 and 75. And the 75, he's got all glass where you can have like Notre Dame at this game against Ohio State on one. Yeah. And you have age and that great, great uh, game against UTSA on the other, it was almost like being in a movie theater. And of course, I can't compare it to yours because I've never been there to see it. Oh, well, John, you know you're invited anytime. (laughs) I got to get you over here to watch the games for for sure. For sure, John. But here's the thing, and I love Gary Horn, but it's like, uh, John, I'm the Tampa Bay Rays compared to Gary Horn's New York Yankees when it comes to resources. He's got got the resources (laughs) to be able to populate that world. That wall the way he does. Gary does well. Um, the other big news with college football over the weekend, and it actually, I was surprised that it kind of dropped on Friday, like a news dump of some sort, because I thought this was great news. Maybe it's polarizing, but college football finally acted on the, the, um, the initiative that they had put forth about a year and a half ago to expand the playoff to 12 teams from four teams And if you recall, it was back in the spring of 2021 where that idea was first floated and voted on, and they seem to be ready to move forward. And then within weeks of that, Texas and Oklahoma leave for the SEC or announce they want to leave the Big 12 for the SEC. And it feels like every person in power just said, "Okay, we need to hit pause for a second here and get a feel for what this is going to look like. 
And that forced everybody to hit pause. And it's strange because I feel like the next move, which was USC and UCLA going from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten, almost had the opposite effect. That almost kind of amped up everybody's urgency to to batten down the hatches a little bit and, and add some stability to college football. Because I think that's, John, I think ultimately that's what this 12-team playoff is in the short term is it's a life raft to the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the ACC to where they feel like, okay, man, we may have another school leave here or there. And I don't know who that school would be. I think we're running out of schools that actually add value to the Big 10 and the SEC at this point. But at the very least, they can sell recruits that, no, we've got access to the championship, the top six conferences. I'll make it. It's a life raft to the group of five on top of that because the top six ranked conference winners all get automatic bids into the tournament. What do you think of this expansion? I saw a graphic if this had been in fact last season. Baylor, of course, would have been in it. And I'm for anything that helps Baylor. But everything in college football is dictated by TV. This is not the presidents getting together, the coaches, athletic directors. This is TV telling them here's what's going to happen mm. because it's more money from everybody. ESPN, Fox, all the networks that carry college football, they dictate everything. I've had a couple of athletic directors I've known for a while tell me that you know if tv tells me you're gonna do it you're gonna do it and i think it's great uh, yeah i do too didn't have to wait so long yeah i know it's good yeah for those just that, that aren't clued in on the details of it 2026 is the latest they would do it because that's when all the tv contracts are up um they want to try to get it implemented by 2024 if they can and you're right john baylor not only would have made it they'd have had a first round buy in the playoff if it were last year because they were one of the top four rated or top four highest ranked um, conference champions uh, at the end of the regular season. John, I think it's going to be amazing. Those first two weeks of December, think about that now, whereas the first two weeks of December used to be the conference championship game weekend, which really only mattered to the fan bases of the schools involved. For, for the most part, the very few of those were de facto playing games. And then the second weekend of December was Army Navy, and that's it. Now, you're going to have a bunch of conference championship games that the winners are guaranteed bids to the to the playoff in all likelihood. And then you're going to have a second week in December or third week. I don't know if they'll stick a bye week in there in between the conference title games and the playoff, but you're going to have you're going to have four playoff games in the first round played on college campuses. And the matchups in the if it, going back to what you said, if the matchups were based on the, the the final rankings of last year, it would have been uh, Pitt at Georgia. That's the 12 versus five. It would have been Utah at Notre Dame. That's the 11 versus the six. You would have had a rematch with Michigan State and Ohio State in the seven versus 10 game. And you would have had Oklahoma State going to Ole Miss in the eight versus nine game. I, I, I don't know. Call me crazy, but a system that gives you extra meaningful games that are taking place in Sanford Stadium, Notre Dame Stadium, the Horseshoe, and the Grove at Ole Miss, sign me up for that all day long. It would be so much fun on those weekends to be in Vegas. Oh. And I can imagine what it's going to be like because I know what it's like during the NCAA basketball tournament. Let me ask you this, son. This is yeah. something I think that if if indeed they, they do this, and I wish they'd do it in 2024 – I think that we would have more games like Notre Dame and Ohio State, Utah and Florida, LSU and Florida State, because teams wouldn't be so afraid of one loss knocking them out of the playoff picture. What do you think? I agree. And I think also, John, um, that 
I think too that it, it, it scheduling up like that is a buffer in case you're hovering around that 11, 12, 13 range in the rankings, similar to the college basketball tournament. They're going to look at your strength of schedule. You know, what's the RPI of the teams that you played? I, I totally agree with that. You're, you're absolutely right because those games are fun for fan bases. You know, those are those sell season tickets, you know, and, and uh, not that a lot of these big schools don't have issues with season ticket sales, but you know what I mean? I'm in complete agreement with you. I, you, I can see the argument the other way. Well, now 12 teams make it. Why do I, if I'm Alabama, why do I need to schedule a hard game out of conference? If I go 12 and Oh, it doesn't matter who I'm playing out of conference. I, I hope that's not the case. Most of the big schools like that don't think that way anymore. They know that these early season games, almost like preseason bowl games, you know, like, you know, the, the, some of these first games of the season act as like early season bowl games. I think most schools have embraced having at least one of those, if not more on the schedule. So I'm with you on that. I think that's exactly what happens. Um, last thing on the college football front, I guess this is college football, John. Did you see that Netflix put out a 10 second tease uh, that looks like a tease for a Johnny Manziel documentary. I did see that. And uh, I, I would, I will watch it. Yeah, I may have Netflix by then. And uh, I would certainly <laughs> watch it because he's one of the most fascinating people I've ever seen. Well, John, you've sat down with him. This Seth and I talked about this on pain and Pendergast this morning. We were going through all the different anecdotes from the Johnny Manziel history that we would want to see dove into in in the documentary you know him getting booted from the manning passing academy uncle nate uh him going in a blonde wig to vegas uh you know there's any myriad number of things my question was does john mcclain get a vignette in there do they sit you down to talk to you about johnny manzel because john you on your trip to san diego to watch johnny manzel work out with george whitfield were able to procure the famous quote the chip on his shoulder went from a frito to Dorito, I feel like you are at least uh, a, a fraction of a percent of the Johnny Manziel story. And thus, you should get at <laughs> least you should get at least 10 seconds in this thing talking about your trip to California to go watch him. Uh, it was a it was an incredible experience. Shereen Williams, who worked at the Fort Worth Star Telegram, then now works for Pro Football Talk and NBC. We went. She's an Aggie. We knew George Whitfield very well. And we went out and spent two days and a night, went to dinner, went over and hung out with them. And James Lofton was there for Mike Evans because Mike Evans was also out there, Johnny. They were living in a house. And um, and so we got to go work out with them. One of the things George Whitfield would put them through was was working out in the ocean and where they had the water up to their waist and they were throwing and catching passes and trying to keep their balance. And I don't know what good it did, but it sure looked good. And uh, it was a really, really interesting time. I was captivated by Manziel. I was when he played at Alabama. And then the fact the way he was off, off the field, you know, party Johnny, not just Johnny football. And, and uh, one of the things I remember George uh, had the on the field practice, the ocean practice, and then Johnny had to watch tape. So we go in a room and there's a guy sitting at a keyboard about to watch tape with Johnny on a computer. And George said, uh, John McClain, Kevin O'Connell. And as I met Kevin O'Connell, went wow. from playing football to working with him like that. And the same thing happened to me with Select Sports Group and their agent, Jeff Nally. 
he had, I can't remember who it was, might've been Vince Young. And he was about to do some film work. He said, uh, John McClain, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff mm. just left NFL and was, and was uh, working for select sports group, teaching their quarterbacks, uh, letting them watch things on tape. But Manziel was a hoot. He was funny. He was great at dinner. He was cracking jokes and stuff. And I, I was caught up in it. And I yeah. tell you, the stories I wrote, the Aggies clicked on those things so many times. I think they told me that like 436,000 clicks. Do Did you, you, you have pretty close ties with the Cleveland media through Mary Kay Cabot, Tony Grossi, friends of yours up there through the years. And I know that one of these guys I'm about to ask you about, it's only been a year since he's become relevant in Cleveland, but at the, at the height of the, at the height of their respective stories, did you talk more with people in Cleveland about Johnny Manziel or Deshaun Watson? I went to uh, do a column on Manziel, and they were playing a preseason game at uh, Akron, at the University of Akron Stadium. And afterward, there were so many media people there. I couldn't get close to him. Hmm. I couldn't get with earshot, much less voice shot. It was like it was the Super Bowl. And uh, they were fired up about him till he started playing and Deshaun Watson there, you know, it's bittersweet. They don't want to like him. They don't want to like the situation, but they know there's a good chance when he comes off the suspension against the Texans and maybe not this season, maybe next season, they know he's going to be a great quarterback where they knew early on Manziel was not. And I'll tell you a great story about Manziel. I was told that uh, he got like all players, a, um, uh, laptop mm-hmm. to uh, with a game with a game not the game plan but the playbook on it. Yeah, and uh, at the end of the season, he turned it in, and the IT guy went to the coach and said, "Coach, this has only been turned on twice. Once after he was given it, and number two before he started against the Steelers." And they're like, that's got to be a mistake. Nope, that's what we thought. It was only turned on twice. Now, I don't know if that story is true, but it sure sounds like it could be. A hundred percent. John, we played on the show today when we were talking about this Manziel documentary. Seth and I played, it's about a minute 30 vignette that the NFL did them on all the players back then. They do it every year. Like They call it like first look or something like that. And it's like, you know, it's Johnny. You know, Johnny looking at the camera going, Johnny Manziel, quarterback, Texas A&M. And then it's a bunch of highlights and a, bun- a bunch of Johnny himself talking about himself and things like that. And we went through that. And, you know, some of it was real. Like, you know, Johnny talks about his, how hyper competitive he is and, and compared himself to other quarterbacks like Brett Favre and things like that. Like, all right, I get it. This is all happening like right about the time, probably, you know, right in that same time frame where you were in San Diego meeting with him, that pre-draft time frame. But it's crazy to go back and listen to the parts of that, even in just a 90 second clip where like two or three times he's like, I'm going to come in the building and work hard and that's going to permeate the building and they're going to get a hard worker and this and we're just dropping the buzzer on it each time he says that like false, false, false. Like it turns out like he was the furthest thing from a hard worker. He thought he could get away with just being better than everybody else like he did in the SEC. I would like to know from Johnny Manziel the answer to this question, Johnny. If you played today at AM and did what you did at AM, how much NIL money do you yeah. think you could make? Yep. Yeah. Because he was making money illegally on autograph shows and no telling what else. And now it would all be legal. My God, Johnny Football would be the highest paid 
college player in history. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I hope this documentary is the real thing. And John, uh, if it comes to fruition, I'll let you use my Netflix password for one day. So there you go. I think I ought to be able to afford it now. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. With all with the, two new jobs. the seven new jobs that you've got, you should be able to put the bill for the $14.99 a month or whatever it is. All right, John, let's get into some predictions and then we're going to do a little for real or fugazi. Um, and for those who don't know, the schedule increases for John and I during the week. If you download this podcast, first of all, tell your friends about it, especially if they're Texan fans. Um, we're going to go from two to three a week. The This, this one... There's no game to react to, but typically the early in the week one will be reaction to what happened the previous weekend. The middle one will be a mailbag. You can email us email us questions at mailbag at gmail.com. We appreciate you guys continuing to do that. And then the last one in the week will be a look ahead to the upcoming game. So that's what this week's going to look like. We've got two more this week, a mailbag, and then the preview of the Colts game. But it's – it's uh, it's, we got week one coming up. So now is the time we got to get on the record. So John, I got just a few categories here for um, predictions. Let's start with a Texan one. What is your, for those who haven't heard, I know what it is, but maybe we have some new listeners who haven't heard. What is your prediction for the Texan season win total this year? Six and 11, two victories more than last season. I think uh, next season they'll be up over like eight or nine, but I think that would be uh a nice improvement. Anything above that would be like a cherry on top of a Sunday. Yeah. I got six also. I even went through the schedule and tried to figure out, okay, which six are they going to be? Um, I'm going to go with them beating Jacksonville twice because that's just what they do. Uh, since Ten 20, in a row. Since 2017. That's exactly right. Um, I think they beat Chicago in week three. I think Chicago's terrible. I think they beat the Giants and the Washington football team. I know the Washington – I'm sorry, the Commanders – um, I know the commanders are, are not horrible, horrible, but they're not great. And that game's at home. My one game where it's a con- considered a better team, clearly a better team than the Texans. I had them winning the home game. I think it's week nine against the Titans. I went and looked at the Titans schedule. That game is sandwiched in between for the Titans the week before they play the Colts the following week, they play at Kansas city. Um, so I think that the Texans may catch them at a time where they could be coming off of that Colts game and looking ahead to the Chiefs game. And it's at home, and they beat the Titans on the road last year. Why can't they beat them at home this year? Who knows? Maybe Malik Willis is the quarterback for the Titans by the time midseason rolls around. But I'm with you. Same prediction, 6-11. and 11. Those are my six wins. What do you think the AFC South looks like from top to bottom this year? I was picking the Titans. Mike Vrabel's the best coach. Frank Reich's only won one playoff game. That was his first season in 18. His teams have started terribly. They're bad in the first game. So it won't surprise me too much if the Texans pull an upset. But I think the trade of A.J. Brown hurts the offense. And losing their leading pass rusher last week to a torn ACL, Harold Landry, that hurts them on the other side of the ball. Colts are going to start without uh, Shaquille. Don't call me Darius any longer. Leonard, Mm -hmm. I believe. But – you can't take your best pass rusher and your best receiver and not feel it. So I think I'm going to pick the Colts to win the division. I do too. I've got the Colts. I got the Titans second, then Texans third, and Jacksonville taking up the uh, the rear of the division. Um, I think with Tennessee, John, I think you nailed it with losing Harold Landry, trading AJ Brown. Um, I don't think Traylon Burks is a suitable replacement in the short term for AJ Brown. Maybe ultimately he will be. 
but he ain't A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown, you could argue, was one of the top four or five receivers in the AFC um, the past couple of years when he's been healthy. I think the other thing, too, is Tennessee was kind of a, to use a word we're about to use in a little bit, they were kind of a Fugazi number one seed last year. Fugazi is Italian for phony, counterfeit, for those who don't know. Um, and I think there was going to be a hangover effect one way or the other from the way they got knocked out of the playoffs. Hell, Ryan Tannehill was talking about having to go to counseling to talk about the interceptions that he threw against the Bengals. So I think that was already a team that was primed to be a regression candidate. And then you take two of their best players off the team via trade and via injury. I'm with you. I, I think I don't think Tennessee makes the postseason, let alone win the division. I, don't, I think they're out of the playoffs this year altogether. Last year, they lose Derrick Henry for half the season, yeah. and they still ran the ball with a bunch of Texans cast off. I think Mike Vrabel's a hell of a coach, and he'll find a way to get back in the playoffs. Okay, so you think they make the playoffs as a wild card team. All right, so we, we won't go through the entire structure of the of the AFC and NFC in terms of division winners and things like that. I don't know how podcast friendly that is, but your Super Bowl prediction, John, who, is, who, who, are, your, who are your teams you got going at it in the Super Bowl? Who do you got winning this thing? I can't pick the Rams to repeat as champions because it hadn't been done since Ted Johnson's New England Patriots after the 03 and 04 season. And their odds are against them even getting to the Super Bowl because Super Bowl losers generally don't go back. And Tampa Bay, with uh, so many interior linemen out, Tom Brady seeming to be distracted, even though they haven't been since 2010, you'd think, with Aaron Rodgers being so great, and uh, eventually they go to one. So I'm going Packers, and they're going to play the Bills, and the Bills are finally going to win a Super Bowl for their loyal, rabid, patient fans. I don't get happy for opposing fan bases in any sport very often. I would be happy for Bills fans if the Bills were able to, to win a Super Bowl. That would be a cool story, especially considering – the early nineties and how that all went. And I know that the bills hold a, a, a special place in infamy in Houston sports, you know, the 35 to three game and whatnot. Um, I wasn't living here at the time. I was a couple of years removed from, from moving to it was Houston 41 Court. to 38 in overtime. I remember, I remember the game. I just wasn't as emotionally invested as other Houstonians were. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't a Houstonian yet. Um, that would be cool to see, you know, the parade. I would imagine some of those bills that lost four Super Bowls in the nineties, get their own float in the parade. And that would be cool. You know, Buffalo is, you know, it's a small city. So it'd be kind of, that'd be kind of neat to see. I've got green Bay getting there as well. I think the NFC is it's John, the different, I don't know that I can remember such a stark difference between the two conferences, top to bottom. You know, I, I, I think in the AFC, the Texans, the Jags and the jets are the only three teams that I think are just out of it to start the season. And the other teams, I think you can all make some sort of argument that if one thing happens, you know, then then they're right in the mix. Even Miami, you know, who's missed the playoffs the last several years. Hey, if Tua takes to this offense with Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins, they won nine games with Brian Flores and with Tua playing poor last year. You know, they they could win 11 or 12 games. You know, that's just one example. The AFC West is stacked. The AFC North wants Deshaun Watson is no longer suspended, is pretty stacked as well. Um so uh, so I think there's such a stark difference between the AFC and the NFC. You nailed it with the NFC. Tampa Bay, just seen, these issues seem to be popping up with Tampa Bay right now with the offensive line, with Brady being kind of weird this whole offseason. Um, I'm not inclined to pick the team that 
got there last year to repeat. I'm with you on that. And I, there's nobody in the NFC East that I have any sort of confidence in. So I'm left with Green Bay, even without Devontae Adams getting back there. And especially if they're able to secure the one seed and get a bye and have everybody have to go through Green Bay. And I know that they've had that before. Um, but I think they're, the, the NFC is just so weak top to bottom now. I like Green Bay. I like Kansas City in the AFC. Um, I, I feel like Kansas City, for the first time since Mahomes took over at quarterback, people are looking at with some level of doubt. They're looking at him like a wounded animal. And I'd like to think that maybe Kansas City is kind of internalizing this thing as sort of a chip on the shoulder. I think people are placing a lot of stock in Tyreek Hill not being there anymore. They've, they've got a lot of speed on that team. It's not Tyreek Hill level speed. But this will be a great test for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill. They still got Travis Kelsey. They've still got pieces on defense. Most more than anything else amongst those teams in the AFC, they've got experience, you know, deep playoff experience, some good and some bad over the last four years. But they're the team that has, that's played on that stage the most out of all these teams that are going to be in the mix. They've, they've had to, they've had to make these deep runs and, and playing these big games the most over the last four years with Mahomes. So I'm going to take Kansas city going back to the super bowl. I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers though, to win the super bowl over Kansas city. Wow. If you had to pick an upset team, like mine would be the chargers, mm -hmm. like the Bengals last year to go to the super bowl, who would be one for you did not necessarily to win, but to surprise people that got that far. Yeah. I would say, um, I, boy, I would say the Chargers are a good one. I, although I feel like people, for a team that didn't make the playoffs last year, I feel like a peop, the people are putting a lot of stock in the Chargers and Justin Herbert. You and I had this conversation last week about that. You know what, John? I'm, maybe the Colts. You know, maybe the Colts with Matt Ryan, a guy who's been down that road before. He's been to a Super Bowl before. He's won an MVP. I think they've got a really talented roster. Um, they've not done much in the postseason, but if they had, I wouldn't be looking at them as sort of an upset pick. If they're an upset pick, by definition, there's something wrong with them going into the year. So I would say, I would say maybe the Colts, because also they're they're going to have a chance to if the AFC South, if they're that much stronger than the AFC South, like if I think they're good enough to get to a Super Bowl, then chances are they've probably rolled through the AFC South and stacked a bunch of wins, making their schedule get a little bit easier. Um, and maybe they get the one seed like Tennessee did last year. Um, so I'm going to say the Colts would be that team for me, the potential sort of dark horse team. That's a good one, though. Who's your MVP? Uh, Justin Herbert. I think Herbert is going to have a great season. And uh, I think Josh Allen's going to – there's Aaron Rodgers. Will he win it again? Yeah. Uh, if he does, hey, if they do what you're predicting, he could be a three-time, three-consecutive – when winning the award three consecutive years, which I don't think's ever been done. Yeah, well, and, and you're absolutely right. And he'd be doing it without Devontae Adams, which is, you know, anytime I would imagine you're trying to, when you're an MVP voter, which I know you've you've, you've been an MVP voter at, at some point, right, John? Oh, yeah, for decades. It, yeah, so, you know, at some point, I would imagine when you've got guys that have been in the mix for so many years, you're looking for something different with their candidacy for, for MVP. Not having Devontae Adams, having Alan Lazard as your leading, your leading receiver would be something different. I didn't pick Rodgers, though. I picked Joe Burrow, and I think here's why. I think Cincinnati's going to win that division. I think Cincinnati's going to have a really good year. I, I like the improvements that they made in the offseason. They addressed the offensive line, which was their, their big issue. Um, they're, you know, they're coming into the season healthy and young. 
and coming off of the, the Super Bowl last year, I think you look at that division, the Steelers are down right now. Cleveland's going to be down for at least 11 games of the 17 games, and there's probably going to be a reacclimation period for Deshaun before he really gets back to what he was before. And I'm not totally sure what Baltimore is right now heading into the season. So I think Cincinnati wins that division. Um, and I think Joe Burrow, some of the MVP uh, vote is about buzz surrounding a guy, I feel like. And that deep run into the Super Bowl last year almost kind of sets him up as sort of a Brady-like character moving forward. You know, he's the guy, John, that everybody was talking about after the Super Bowl. Is Burrow the next big thing as far as a guy who's going to take his team deep on playoff runs for the next few years? So um, I didn't want to pick Josh Allen because I don't like picking the favorite. Um, I like your pick of Justin Herbert, but I'm going to go with Joe Burrow, who I think is 13 to one. I think he's fifth down the list behind Allen Mahomes, your guy, Herbert. And I think Rogers is fourth. I think Burrow is fifth on the list. I'm going to go with Joe Burrow. He's loaded with weapons. They, they spent a lot of money, draft choices, everything to improve their one weakness, the offensive line, by the way, John, I think I read this for a while back. Rodgers without Adams, seven one, averaging thirty one point two points a game. Hmm. Yeah, I mean he's he John. He's the quintessential quarterback that just raises the level of guys around him. Alan Lazard in fantasy, people. Alan Lazard, I tells you, you'd be able to get him in like the ninth round. Um, all right, so those are our predictions. All right, John, let's play the game that's sweeping the nation. Not a game, but a segment here that's sweeping the nation. For real or fugazi? Are these statements that I'm about to make true, i.e., for real? Or are they false, i.e. fugazi, Italian for counterfeit, fake, phony? Here we go. On his podcast, it needed to be said, Tyreek Hill said Tua Tungavailoa is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes. Tua's head coach, Mike McDaniel, says he is the most accurate passer in the NFL. John, they are right. Tua is the most accurate passer ahead of everybody, including Mahomes, for real or fugazi? Fugazi. Fugazi. Who's your, who's your guy then, John? Or is it, is it just, is it not Tua? How the hell would Mike McDaniel know? He hadn't even seen him in a regular season game in which he was the coach. And I understand they're trying to, to beef up his confidence. But uh, as far as accurate, I would say because he has great receivers, Kirk Cousins or Joe Burrow. Mm -hmm. I'd throw Tom Brady in there as well. Um, that guy's pretty he's accurate. Not too shabby. That yeah, Brady guy, right. that Brady guy is pre pretty accurate. All right, next one, John. For real or Fugazi? In their statement about Russell Wilson, when they signed him to his big contract extension last week, the Broncos held him up as a beacon for championship culture. They were they seemed very excited that they gave him a five-year, $245 million extension with $165 million guaranteed. John, Russell Wilson is worth it. For real or Fugazi? For real, I believe he is. They didn't have to give him the kind of money Deshaun Watson got. I thought it was a favorable deal. After all, Walmart's got a lot of money. They do have a lot of money. How do you think he's going to do this year? I mean, John, that AFC West, you got four quarterbacks who I think you could, I think inarguably are among the top 12 quarterbacks in the, in the NFL. How do you think the Broncos and Russell Wilson are going to do in their first year together? I think the team that plays the best is going to be the one whose quarterback stays the healthiest. Russell Wilson missed time last year, I think three games. I think that they got a good chance to make the playoffs any team in that division because of him, because they had defense and running game last year. 
All right, next one. For real or Fugazi? By midseason, Jimmy Garoppolo will be the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. John, for real or Fugazi? By the middle of the season, I'm going to say Fugazi. I think it'll be a little past – well, there's not any middle part anymore, but I think it'll be like – Trey Lance will stay in the lineup at least eight games – and if he falters, then Garoppolo will come in afterward. I don't think Garoppolo will be traded. But Kyle Shanahan loves Trey Lance. You know he's going to give him every opportunity that he can give him. And if he goes to Jimmy G, Lance is going to have to be hurt or he's going to be really bad. Yeah, I was going to say, John, are you if, if you were a San Francisco 49er fan, would you be more concerned about Trey Lance just – about Trey Lance not being very good, i.e. Fugazi as a player, or would you be more concerned about him getting hurt given his style of play? I would be concerned after what fans saw at the Texans game. I think they should have played him more in preseason the way the Texans played Davis Mills because he's he's a first-time starter and a second-year quarterback, and that was why it wouldn't surprise me if he didn't get off to a shaky start. All right, next one, John. We got a few more here. For real or Fugazi? Carson Wentz will be on his fourth team in four seasons come 2023. For real or Fugazi? I think it's Fugazi. I think he'll still be there because Ron Rivera is so committed to him. Plus, the team's not going to be very good. They don't have anybody else. But uh, at some point, the break's got to come on his career. So I'm going to say he's going to last two seasons with the command. Okay, two seasons. I just think it's so funny that all these teams think that they can extract some sort of leadership gene out of Carson Wentz when nobody's been, and especially Washington being the team they think is going to get it out of him. Well, I mean, what a highly functional environment that's been the last few years. All right, next one, John. The first head coach fired in the NFL this year will come from the NFC. Okay, and just to throw a few names in there, Matt Rule, Pete Carroll, Mike McCarthy are among the names that are near the top of the leaderboard in Vegas right now. The first head coach fired will come from the NFC this year. For real or Fugazi? For real, because the worst teams in the AFC have changed coaches in the last two years, so I think it will be somebody in the NFC and after the moves for Baker Mayfield and a couple other personnel decisions they've made. If Matt Rule starts poorly, say 0-4, 0-5, he's out of there. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I, that's, I, I, was, I was more focused on the names in the NFC as I'm doing that, but the way you looked at it was a perfect way to look at it. You're right. There aren't many bad teams in the AFC. The ones that are bad, Salah's heading into – what's Salah heading into? Year two? Uh of his tenure. Year two, yes. Year two, Lovey's in year one, Doug Peterson's in year one. The last two, the last two first head coaches fired have both come from the AFC South. Urban Meyer last year, they don't count John Gruden because he resigned. Urban Meyer last year fired during the season. And in 2020, John, Bill O'Brien fired after four games. Um, 12 to one paid off that year for Bill O'Brien. All right, last one, John. Preply.com. It's a travel website, did a poll where they polled 1,500 residents of the 30 largest metropolis areas in the United States. So these residents were self-rating their cities on rudeness. Houstonians rated themselves the 10th rudest city in the country in the same mix as cities like Philadelphia, New York, Los Angeles, 
Washington, D.C., lots of Northeast cities. Houston is one of the 10 rudest cities in the country, for real or fugazi? Fugazi. I'm guessing those people never traveled. I've been all over the country multiple times, and I think Houstonians are among the friendliest people I've ever seen. Yeah. We didn't grade well in letting people merge in traffic. That was one of the categories. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame this. I don't blame the people of Houston, John. I blame the highway system. There's way too many places in this town where to exit a highway, you're literally going into the teeth of people getting on the highway. You know, it's like, you know, like a zipper kind of thing. You know, it's it, it's very dangerous, very dangerous out there. And that's true. But I, I thought when it comes to just meeting people and talking to people, you oh, can't yeah. beat Houstonians, no matter what topic you want to talk about. But man, when it comes to driving, you are right. Yeah, 100 percent. All right. That's it. Uh, that was the uh, latest episode of the Utopia football podcast. John, you got so much stuff going on. Tell the people all the stuff you've got going on so they can find you in the various places. I can be heard on Sports Radio 610 five times a week. I will be read on SportsRadio610.com three times a week. I can be heard on three podcasts, uh, Utopia with Sean Pendergast, and I can be read on Galleriesports.com. And I'm going to be doing a picks podcast with Mattress Mac, our nation's most renowned gambler. Yeah, no. Oh, that's pretty cool. You and Mac doing a picks podcast together? Yep, that's pretty sweet. That's pretty. So he better beat. He better beat me. He bet. Yeah, no kidding, right? Um. So these other podcasts, so you're basically a podcast polygamist, John, because I'm I'm in I'm in a monogamous podcast relationship with you. I don't do podcasts with anybody else. I've got one coming up tonight. I've got one this afternoon, and then I've got the one with Mattress Mac later in the week. And I love doing podcasts because, like with us, we can just talk like we're sitting next to each other in a bar. Or we're watching, uh, sitting in your den, watching all your TVs, and I love talking sports. Yeah, me too, John. All I ask is that when you're doing these podcasts with those other people, is that you're thinking of me. That's all I ask, John, okay? Uh, yeah, I'll be thinking <laughs> of you. I've got a better chance to be thinking about your video wall. <laughs> Oh, and we and how do people send questions to us for? Our oh yeah, podcast? John, you're the best at this. You're the best at promoting this. H O U mailbag at gmail.com. H O U mailbag at gmail.com. Send them in. We're gonna do a mailbag episode later on this week. We've got some questions lined up, but if you can send some really, really good questions in the questions in, they'll make it onto the podcast because John and I are gonna go about 30 minutes just hitting mailbag questions. It can be Texans, it can be NFL related, especially with no games having happened yet. It's going to start to pick up, man. Business is going to pick up once week one gets here. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. You can follow him, John McClain, the Hall of Famer, at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sean T. Pendergast. And you can hear me Mondays through Fridays, 6 to 10 a.m. with Seth Payne on Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610. John, I always enjoy it. And we'll, uh, we'll pot it up again later on this week for the mailbag. And I will talk to you at 8 o'clock on Wednesday morning. Can't wait. 8 o'clock Wednesday morning. You can hear John with me and Seth Payne on Sports Radio 610. He is John McClain. Big thanks to Figgy Fig for making sure you guys get a hold of this podcast. He's the one that makes sure it gets out there on the interwebs each and every time we drop it. Uh, so big thanks to Figgy Fig. For the Hall of Famer, John McClain, I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. This has been the Utopia Football Podcast. We'll see you later on this week. Have a great day, everybody.